0: Well, my name is Chance Sumner. I serve here as senior pastor. I am so thankful that you are here this morning. I believe that in all of the places in the universe that you can be this morning and every Sunday morning, the best place to be is in a church in which the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached and proclaimed, that in all the universe, this is the place where God would have you. Our prayer and hope for you this morning is that by coming here that you would know Jesus Christ more and that that love that he has for you and that has showed for you by dying for your sins, that love would transform your life and so that you share that love with other people. That's our, our greatest hope, that is our greatest joy, to see the love of Christ at work in your life. And this morning, for the little theologians, I have, a, I have a gift for you at the end of the service. I've brought today my favorite candy. And if you're a young theologian, I would like to give you some candy, if your parents permit, at the end of this service. And when you come up, I'm going to ask you, what, what did I say in my sermon. Now adults, this does not mean that you shouldn't be listening as well, but if you're a young theologian, if, if you would like to have some delicious candy, please come up after the end of the service and I'll be sitting right here and we'll just have some brief conversation and I'll give you some of my favorite candy, okay? That is for all young people. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you know, I usually get an interaction, but not, not that type. So, Here at Community Bible Church, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. One of my favorite ministries is G- the, the ministry of Gideon's International. And if you go to a hotel room, if you're in the hospital and you find a Bible, there is a very good chance that it will be a Bible from Gideon's. And at the front of every Gideon's Bible, there is this powerful statement. And, and we believe this here at CBC. This is, this is why we gather. Listen closely. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are Are immutable. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here too, heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its main subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn All who trifle with its sacred contents. That is what we believe this book is. And at Community Bible Church, what we do, our goal during the sermon is to open up the Word of God and to point your attention away from everything else and to this sacred text. And the reason why we do that is, as this statement said. This book, this holy and sacred book, shows us Jesus Christ. Your purpose in life is to know Jesus Christ. And the way that you know him is by means of this book. And so this morning, what we're going to do, let's go ahead and open up to Hebrews 13, verse 20. We are going to open up this book together and we are going to read it. I am going to explain it and apply it to your life. And the purpose in all this is that you would have a experience with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. We gather for him. We gather to proclaim his name, to know him more, and to be more and more transformed by his love. So, I want to show you this morning from this passage, I want to show you three things. First, I want us to ask the question and have the answer of who is Jesus? Then, we want to ask and answer the question what has he done? And then third, we want to answer the so what question. So what difference does who Jesus is and what he has done make for my life? What difference does it make? So that's kind of the game plan. That's the outline. Let's go ahead and read this passage together. Hebrews 13, verse 20. We will read through verse 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is Jesus? You'll notice in this passage that Jesus, in verse 21 is referred to as not just Jesus, but as Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ. Now when we read scripture, we need to be very observant of what the passage says. I believe that there is a difference. There is an intention in the author using Jesus Christ as opposed to just Jesus. And the intention is this. This term Christ, as opposed to just Jesus, Jesus Christ, what it communicates is that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah of Israel. The Bible contains two Testaments, both an Old and a New. And the Old Testament was given to the Jewish people. And as you read the Old Testament, you will realize that there is this figure in the Old Testament that is spoken of. In some passages it's clearer than in others. But there is this expectation in the Old Testament regarding a coming figure. And the New Testament identifies that coming figure as Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all of human history. He is the center purpose of it and he makes sense of all of it. It is only in light of Jesus that we understand both time itself and the Old Testament and the New Testament. The author here is drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. And also, Jesus here is referred to in verse 20. You'll notice this word, Lord. So in verse 21, Jesus is referred to as Jesus Christ. And in verse 20... Jesus is referred to as Lord Jesus. What this is communicating is that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is as the Bible describes him, he is the Lord of Lords. The Bible says that after the resurrection, God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ and placed him as the ruler above all other rulers. He is sovereign, he is judge, He is master and commander of the universe. And the Bible says that one day he will return to judge both the living and the dead. As the statement said, he is to not be trifled with. His authority is supreme. And this understanding of Jesus as Lord might be contrasted with a word that I'd like to share with you. I've gotten quite a bit of feedback from this word from the first service. This word is milk toast Have you heard of milk toast before No Well it's a, it's a very captivating word and, and this is what this is what milk toast means Milk toast is a noun It means this a very timid unassertive always apologetic spineless person. Especially one who is easily dominated or intimidated. So that is what milquetoast means. And this word comes from a cartoon in the 1920s. The figure, the main character in this cartoon was named Casper Milquetoast. Casper Milquetoast is always perceptive and fearful how other people will perceive him he's a very very timid soul he never sticks up for himself he never sticks up for other people he's always aversive towards conflict always wanting to do everything he can to avoid it there's this one comic strip that he's walking by a patch of grass and this grass has a sign on it that says keep off the grass And as he is walking, the wind blows and knocks his hat into the grass. And there's a thought bubble that comes up from his head and it says, well, I guess I better get myself a new hat. Casper is defined by being totally passive and never assertive. And when you need help and when you need protection, the type of person like Casper is the last person who you want to call. Jesus is not... Milk toast. Jesus is not milk toast. This passage and all of scripture is teaching us that Jesus is a king. He is unrivaled in his authority. Philippians 2, as we read earlier, says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, let me be clear, though. Jesus being Lord does not mean he is not also loving and kind. Jesus is as loving and gentle and compassionate and merciful and gracious as he is authoritative. And we see that here in this passage. Notice in verse 20 it says that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is Lord, yes. Jesus is the Christ, yes. But Jesus' authority is not opposed to his compassion and mercy. A shepherd is one who cares for a flock of sheep. Now, as you know, sheep have many natural predators and are... Not the most intelligent of creatures. Sheep have many natural predators. Wolves, you think of a wolf ravaging sheep and the necessity of having a protector for sheep. That's what Jesus does. Due to his care and concern for us, he watches over us. He concerns himself with our well being. And he will also whack the wolves in our lives. He will protect us from outside forces that seek to harm us. He can do that. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. But also he protects us from ourselves. As sheep, the Bible says that we wander off into danger. We naturally do not follow the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is compassionate enough to oversee us, to commit himself to us as his flock, as the bride of Christ, as the church. And he is authoritative uh, enough to make sure that we do not harm ourselves. Make sure that our wandering, that he keeps us in his fold. He might knock us if we wander off the path and call us to return. But it is all out of love and compassion. Compassion. And sheep need a shepherd. We need someone to look to and to trust. Someone who is reliable. Someone who will oversee us eternally. And someone who will provide the protection and the mercy and the grace that we so desperately need. That's what this passage says about who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. And he is the great shepherd Of the church, of the sheep. Now, what has he done? To understand Christianity, we must understand both who Jesus is and also what he has done. We must never separate these two matters, but always understand them in light of the other. What has Jesus done for me, Pastor? Well, you will notice, once again, tying this to the text, we want to see this from the Bible. The Bible is the authority. Notice at the end of verse 20, it mentions blood by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, I don't really like blood. I I, I don't necessarily have a strong fear of it, but blood is something that I'd rather not see, I'd rather not touch. And you might have those same feelings. Why does the Bible talk about blood? Blood here and in all of Scripture with reference to Jesus, blood is a symbol of Jesus' death. Blood is a symbol of Jesus' death. The Bible teaches that Jesus has shed his blood. Or, in other words, the Bible says that Jesus has died. Oftentimes, when people die, they shed blood. The shedding of blood is a reference to Jesus' death. Jesus has died. That's what we remembered and celebrated on Friday. Now you will notice, though, that this isn't just any old blood. Many people die. We all die. Many people shed their blood. What gives Jesus significance and power is not that he simply died, but the value and quality and meaning and significance of his death. His shedding of blood was the shedding of, Of the shedding, how do I do this? He shed the blood of the eternal covenant. His blood had this significance of a covenant, of an eternal covenant. And what that means is that Jesus' blood is what brings about in your life redemption and forgiveness. If you are searching in this life for forgiveness, If your conscience constantly attacks you, your hope is the blood of the eternal covenant, which is the Lord Jesus himself. And we might say this, that in Jesus' death we live. That is what the Bible teaches. Because Jesus has died for you, you can have life. And this is a paradox. The blood of Jesus that symbolizes death but in Jesus' death we have life how does that make sense it is a paradox and in life we run into various paradoxes and a paradox is a seemingly key word seemingly a seemingly self-contradictory statement that is true death and life don't seem to go together do they But there are many different types of paradoxes. Listen to this one. This is a financial one. To make money, you must spend money. Making money, to to make money, you must spend money. Now, when we think about making money, we oftentimes don't think of spending it. We think of saving it. And that is also true. But take a, a, a farmer who wants to grow his business. What he will do is he will buy more land, he will buy more equipment, and he will hire more workers. And the hope is that over time, this growth will lead to an increase of income. But this is, an, this is a, a paradox. These two statements, spending money, and making money go in the opposite directions but it's true and that's what we have with Jesus in Jesus' death we have life this is not just blood this is blood of the eternal covenant by means of his death we receive the forgiveness of God we have life it seems to contradict, but it doesn't. It's the truth of God. Now we don't celebrate a dead Savior. Friday is in the past. Friday was a very difficult sermon for me. I I, I struggle on Good Fridays because of the difficulty and gravity and sorrow of Good Friday. You think about the Lord Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God dying for our sins. What a what a terrible thought. But we don't go home on Friday and not look towards Sunday. We here are this morning through Good Friday, through Friday. But we have hope this morning. We do not worship a dead Savior. The Bible says that, yes, Jesus shed his blood for his people. But the Bible also says that he rose from the dead. Sunday comes after Friday. Easter comes after Good Friday. And therefore, we can have hope. We can have meaning and purpose. Looking at verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. The Bible says that we can have hope. The Bible says that in your predicaments and burdens and struggles and pains and trials, that you can have hope. Easter is all about hope. And that hope is tied to Jesus Christ's resurrection. That is the only hope we have in this world. But that hope is sure. That hope is certain. And let me be very specific about what I mean regarding Jesus' resurrection. If you go to a mainline liberal church, they might say something like, well, Jesus rose in the hearts of his disciples. Or that the disciples experienced the resurrection in their mind. What what liberal Christianity does is it dumbs down the physicality of Jesus' resurrection. They make the resurrection more about what it is that we experience and less about Jesus. They might even deny that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Now let me be clear this morning. Jesus Christ rose from the dead Bodily, historically, actually, and literally. The resurrection is not a metaphor. It's not some comparison to some deeper truth. The resurrection is the truth. And what the resurrection means is that Jesus Christ has conquered death, He has conquered the devil. And he alone can provide you with life. He dies your death that you deserve, and he provides you the life that you so desperately need. The resurrection is not a metaphor, the resurrection is the truth. Jesus got out of that tomb in his resurrected body. And the Bible says that one day he will come again in that same body to rescue his people that's the truth that's why we come and celebrate because in that message in that significance of that event we have life now what's it matter for me pastor bring it home show me the money what does it mean for me this is my third point here segueing into the last part of the sermon what I want you to see is, uh, let, let's look at verse 21. And I want us to notice this little prepositional phrase. Little theologians, remember that word, preposition. You might be asking, why does that matter? It matters because it describes how we receive the blessings of God. If you've asked yourself the question, which I imagine that you have, how do I receive God's blessings? You know, God's blessings are very popular these days. Be blessed. and Prosperity Gospel throws God's blessings everywhere. God wants you to be blessed. I have serious reservations about some of that. But God's blessings are something that God wants to give you. God wants to bless you. His heart is one of generosity and kindness the Bible says that he is rich his currency is grace and mercy he is rich in grace and mercy and he wants to give you this currency which is grace he wants to bless you now this passage is teaching us that these blessings in this passage come to us through Jesus To be highly favored by God, for God to look at you and to view you with favor, kindness, and his infinite grace. You have to come through Jesus. You have to come through who he is and you have to come through what he has done. You must come through Good Friday to Easter Sunday morning. You must believe in both his death for you and his resurrection for you. That he has both paid your punishment and he has given you life by means of his resurrection. And I want you to notice that this passage is a benediction. In the ESV, it has the subtitle above verse 20, benediction. And what we see here is a a benediction is an invocation of God's blessings. We do them at the end of our service. You find them in scripture what these benedictions show is that God's heart is to pour out his mercy and grace to you. God inspired this word and God put this word of blessing in here for you. And this benediction is contingent upon Jesus. To receive the blessings in this passage, which we will detail in a second, you have to come through Jesus. And this is very important. We believe here at CBC that Jesus is the only way to God. That there is no other way. That with Jesus, it's all or nothing. You are either for him or you are against him. He demands from you a response. There's no fence sitting. There's no maybe, kind of, sort of, okay. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. to receive the blessings of God it is all or nothing with the Lord Jesus Christ now with Jesus we have everything you might be struggling now dear Christian you might be suffering you might be in a season of difficulty of which you have never felt before just wait the Bible says that Jesus is coming and he will rescue you and you will live with him forever and you will look back on the difficulties of this life and you will say this you will say God was faithful you just wait redemption is coming for the Christian for the person who comes to God through Jesus infinite riches are available to you and are yours in Christ now if you do not have Jesus it is like holding water in your hands you have nothing with Jesus you have everything without him you have nothing now from the outside it might look like you have your life in order it might look like you have a lot but you actually don't it's just appearance if you don't have Jesus your, might, your, your life might look like it's in order but that's just a facade. That's fake. Living without Christ is kind of like making a paper mache sculpture. You heard of paper mache before? Paper mache I, happens, I don't know how to quite phrase that. Paper mache is the combination of glue and water and you put newspaper in, in the little mixture. And what you can do is you can lay that newspaper in a sequence and make a sculpture. It dries over time. Young theologians, when I was in school, one of my projects was to make a papier-mâché sculpture of a civil war battle. And so I made this. It took so long. And my mom had to help me take this sculpture into my, my classroom. And the whole time, as we're carrying this, I, I, I'm I'm scared that we're going to drop it. It feels firm, it feels secure. But if you drop it, paper mache cannot withstand this specific this specific creation of paper mache that I made. Could not withstand being dropped, and so I was scared. If I dropped it, it would shatter. Living without Jesus Christ is kind of like that. On the outside, it might look like your life is stable and that you have it all settled. But if you fall, your life will be shattered. Whether in this life or the next, if you do not have Jesus, you will lose everything. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. Nothing. Now with Jesus we receive tremendous blessing and, and, and I'm here this morning to to persuade you to come to Jesus to receive these blessings and there's two blessings here the first is the blessing of purpose look at verse 21 verse 21 begins with the word equip we need to fill in from verse 21 who the subject of this verb is. Now may the God of peace, dot, 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 verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. When you come to Jesus, what God does is He gives you the duty of life. He gives you the, the, the purpose of following His will. And He also equips you to do it. He gives you the job and He gives you the training. And what this means is that with Jesus, we can have a life of meaning and purpose what we so desperately desire and need. Significance, meaning, purpose. We don't have to live for ourselves. We can live for God. And when we live for God, he fills us with meaning and purpose. That's what Jesus gives us. Jesus also gives us the blessing of assurance. Once again, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. We just covered that. And then look at this, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What we see here is that when you come to Jesus, you are safe in God. When you come to Jesus, God will work in you. This working in you is not contingent upon you. The grace that God gives us through Jesus, we receive it. But it constantly works in our lives even when we don't realize it. There's that Michael W. Smith song that we've sung sometimes and that I've referenced. God never stops working in your life, Christian. With Jesus, you have the promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's only through Jesus that we receive these blessings to conclude this morning just just some questions to ask you some questions to to ask you do you know Jesus Christ young theologians do you know Jesus and by know him I don't mean just know about him like kind of like arm's length I mean know him in your heart Do you not just know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus in your heart? Is your life about Jesus? Or is it about you? Are you for him or are you against him? Are you living out God's will? Or are you focused on your own will? If you've answered those questions in a way that brings guilt upon your conscience if your heart feels heavy Jesus is there for you Jesus is there what Jesus wants to happen is he wants this guilt to motivate you to him he is the answer and he is here for you this morning you cannot see him but you feel his power and his presence in your life and in your heart and our greatest hope as a church, my greatest hope as a pastor is that in this conscience struggle that you feel in your heart, that you would by faith reach out to Christ and grab him and hold him. The Bible says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It is to Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. Endeavor. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Him always and only. It's always about Jesus, all the time and with no rivals. He is the Christ, He is the Lord. He is not milquetoast, He is our shepherd. He has bled for our sins and risen for our salvation. He is the meaning of history and our greatest need. By your mercy and by your grace, apply him to our lives and our hearts. Awaken in us a greater and deeper affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.